by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Welcome to Next Level Wednesday. Look around, this is the Next Level crew. The ones going to the next level. Thank you, Jesus. God is good all of the time. Thank you, Chad, for getting here early to, to always minister to us on Wednesday nights. That has given us a big boost in our ability to get ready for the services, live worship. I mean, it's, I just love anybody that will give me an opportunity to worship. I know you do, too. So let's give Chad a round of applause. Nah. All right, you guys know that we've been in a series entitled The Human Condition. We're going to finish that up tonight. But before we do, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Father, your uh, spirit is what we desire in this place tonight, your revelation, your power, demonstration of your goodness, Lord, in our lives, the opening of our eyes to see, of our hearts to, to receive, our ears to hear. Father, let us be sponges of the Word of God tonight. Let it mold and shape our lives into something beautiful, something into your image, something that can give glory to you in our workplaces and our homes and every where we where we track through this life of that you've given us lord thank you for our health thank you for the breath in our lungs the beating of our hearts thank you for the things that could have happened to us that didn't because you were watching over us and all the things that you do for us that we don't even not even aware of we just give you glory and honor we just want to take a moment out of our busy week to come here and gather together and glorify you some more and we're looking forward to Sunday, Lord, the nursing home and, and all the things that you've allowed us to partake of, to, to be part of this kingdom that you're building. We thank you for our role in it. Help us to put you first in everything in our lives, even in our giving and our, our jobs, our schools, wherever we're doing, Lord. Help us do everything as if unto you. Help us get an understanding and a revelation of the time in which we live so that we'll be ready when you come back. Lord. We won't be ashamed of anything. Forgive us of any sin that we've had in our life, Lord. Anything that, that we know is not pleasing to you that's hindering us and any weights that, and busyness that cause us to be pulled away from what we know is best in our life. Lord, we're yours. We're Play on your will, Father. We just hope to stay here so that you can get your hands into everything that we are and mold us into your image. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so if you remember last week, 
we finally got up to the present. We started some six, seven weeks ago, I believe, and we started talking about in the book of Genesis how it all began and the human condition every step of the way. And it hadn't been very flattering to us humans, has it? <laughs> when you look back at our track record, our history, so to speak, it's like, hmm, how has God even put up with us? You know. So we got to where we are now last week, and I said we're going to talk, we were talking about seasons last week, and I said, does anybody know what the next season is? And I gave you a little teaser for tonight. Does anybody know what the next mark is that's going to happen, that's going to catapult us into the next season? We're in the church age right now. We're in the age of grace. It's been lasting for, what, 2,000 years since Jesus uh, was on the cross and Jesus departed and then the church was started. And uh, here we are today in 2018. What comes next? Anybody want to help me tonight? I know some of you know. The rapture of the church. Thank you. Don't be afraid to speak out. That's not the beginning of the end. That's the beginning of the beginning. You're right. That's what we're going to talk a little bit about tonight, but I'm not going to just dwell on that all night. I've got some other things that I want to talk about. We'll talk about that some, but uh, first let me tell you a little story about a British explorer named Sir Ernest Shackleton who made an expedition down to the South Pole. You know it's cold at the South Pole too? <laughs> and he went down to the South Pole, and I don't know what he's a scientists of some sort. So he drops a few guys off at this island called Elephant Island, right? And then he goes on to another island. I guess they're doing testing, measuring, whatever they do. Well, he stays gone too long. When he comes back, it's then froze up. And there's big icebergs out in front of where he, he pulled the ship into to drop them off. And so he had to circle around a few times and he prays and he says, Lord, I can't leave these guys. They'll freeze to death. And so it was like a miracle. said so the icebergs began to part. So he zoomed right on in there, and he, he got there, and thank goodness the guys were ready when he got there. They had their stuff in their hand. They would run, run jumped on the ship, and they backed the ship out. It said he got out of there right before the, the next icebergs came back. And they were all excited. Woohoo! we made it, you know. And the, the captain said, well, it's fortunate you guys were ready to go. You were ready. And they said, hey, we never gave up hope. Whenever the sea was clear of ice, we rolled up our sleeping bags, and we said to ourselves, the boss may come today. The boss may come today. I want to be ready. How many of you want to have your sleeping bag rolled up when the boss comes back? You don't want to miss that boat. Amen? Amen. You know, in the early church, they got to doing a thing, I'm told, where they didn't just say, hello, when they saw you, or goodbye. They had a new saying. They would say, Maranatha. And, th and then when they were on the way out, all right, dude, Maranatha. That was their greeting, so to speak, and that was their, the thing that they said when they left. Does anybody know what Maranatha means? It means the Lord is coming. And in the early church, they would, Maranatha, dude, Jesus is coming. Be ready when I get, you know, be ready when he comes. They were always constantly reminding each other that Jesus is coming back. 
And isn't that what it says in Thessalonians that I'll read later? To encourage one another so much more as we see that day approaching? How much more would the church be functioning like the church if we all had a sense of he's coming back all the time? Somebody was constantly reminding us. And that's one of the jobs of the pastor is to remind you that Jesus is coming back. And we should remind each other. Look at your neighbor and say, Maranatha! means the Lord's coming. So today's message is part eight and probably the final one, I believe, in this series called Maranatha. Our Lord comes. You know, the first time Jesus came, he came and shed his blood on our cross. He came to redeem us with his very own blood. A guy named Kent Hughes says it like this. The cross is the ultimate evidence that there is no length the love of God will refuse to go in effecting reconciliation. I mean, if he'll do that, he'll do anything. He's proven that he'll do anything to be reconciled with us. I say it like this. The cross marks the spot where life became possible. I say it like this. The cross is the hinge on which your eternity swings. What you believe about the cross is going to determine where you spend eternity. And so Jesus came and he he made it clear that God loves you. He went to all expense to prove it. But then his own people, we talked about this Sunday. The ones that he had made the star of the show in the Bible, you know. He picked a people to show that show their progression in their lives and to use as an example for all of the rest of us. He called them the Jews. But his own people rejected him. He created the universe and he came into the universe which he created and was rejected. God, it's pretty sad. Romans 11, 11 says, did, God, did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? Did the Jews stumble and fall beyond recovery? Of course not. Why? Only because God never gives up. They were disobedient, so God made salvation available to the Gentiles. Who's the Gentiles? We are, unless you're Jewish. Everybody who's not Jewish is a Gentile. There were two classifications in the Jews' mind. It's us and them. They were just so disobedient that God made salvation available to us, but he wanted his own people to become jealous and claim it for themselves. He had a double purpose in it. He wanted to extend the blessing to us, but he also wanted to make them jealous in the process. And if you went down to verse 25 of Romans 11, it says, some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last only until the full number of Gentiles come to Christ. We talked about that last week. What happens when the full number of Gentiles come to Christ? Jesus is coming back. That's what's going to usher in that next step. And if you go down to verse 30, it says, Once you Gentiles were rebels against God. (laughs) Anybody be honest about that? But when the people of Israel rebelled against him, God was merciful to you instead. Now they are the rebels, and God's mercy has come to you so that they too will share in God's mercy. What's he saying? 
He's saying, for God has imprisoned everyone in disobedience so that he could just have mercy on everybody. He's trying to get everybody to understand, we're all disobedient. We all need mercy. And so we're, we're, he didn't imprison us. We imprisoned ourselves so that he could have mercy on everybody. He made it evident. He loves Jews and Gentiles alike. Verse 33 says, oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. Some people, I think about, they say, well, you know, Adam and Eve had it made in the garden. God walked with them and talked with them. and They had all that nice stuff and they, everything was provided for them in the garden. And it does sound nice. And we think, well, I guess we'll just, we'll never get that back. No, we get better. Do you not know that God knew that they would eat of the fruit that they shouldn't partake of? And that God already had something better in mind for us? He's not walking with us in the cool of the evening. He's walking in us in the cool of the evening. And he's found a way so that everybody gets to decide. All of mankind, not just the, the two that was in the garden. Everybody gets to either choose to accept Jesus or reject Jesus. To accept God's love and an invitation for forgiveness or to reject it. And so he's made it possible that we can all receive his mercy. And he can be living in each and every one of us. Oh, how impossible is it for us to understand his decisions and his ways. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our ways. He's always 10 million steps ahead of our thought process. And see, we look at the Bible now, and we've studied it so many times, we think we're smart. I would have figured all that out. It's only because we have the book, and we know the answers now. But think of how wonderfully this book fits together. 66 books, over 40 authors, written in over 13 countries, over a period of 4,000 years. And you put it together, and it's like a puzzle. Every piece fits exactly together. No shaving off of anything needed. No adding to. It fit every book and every word and every line and every concept. All of them screaming, Jesus! And how beautiful he is. And our need for him. So what's after this age of grace? Say, Maranatha! <laughs> Our Lord comes! I got so excited when I saw this verse as a new Christian, I went ahead and memorized it. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, then the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I know this is Wednesday night, but I'm preaching a little bit, all right? I know this is a Bible study, but I, I felt like I taught too much Sunday. I need to preach a little bit Wednesday. That's good news. I mean... That's good news for the ones that's went on before us. We're all going up together. What does it mean going up? Where are we going? It says in verse 18, so encourage one another with these words. Maranatha! 1 Corinthians 
1550. The Apostle Paul, the same one that wrote that to Thessalonica, is now writing to Colossae. And in verse 50, he says, What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Good! I don't want this worn out on our suit suit in heaven. I want a new suit. And I'm going to have one. And you are too. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. They're temporary. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die. What does that mean? That means some of us are going to be here alive when he comes back. I think I'm going to be one of them. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. In a blink of an eye when the last trumpet is blown. Isn't that the same trumpet that we just saw in 1 Thessalonians? Are you listening for the trumpet? I can almost hear him warming up. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. That's good news. Okay, so what happens? Jesus, uh, the the angel shouts, somebody plays the trumpet, and Jesus comes in the clouds, and and he takes up all the believers, all those who are got their sleeping bags rolled up and ready. Got oil in their lamps, if you know anything about the ten virgin parable. All those who are watching and waiting, all those who don't miss the ship, all those who aren't sleeping, all those who are ready, and they're taken up to heaven. What about all those left behind, Pastor? Well, I sure hate it. Some of, some of them say, well, I, I'm going in the first batch. I'm not. I'm going in the second batch. The first batch is the dead rising in Christ. <laughs> but I'm going. <laughs> I'm going. But the ones left behind are about to go through, or if they can make it through, the next seven years of tribulation such as the world has never known. Now, the first three and a half years is when the Antichrist will be revealed and he'll make out that he's a man of peace and he'll have all the answers and the, the, the United Nations and all them people, they'll all throw their support and he'll, he'll begin to rule the world and everybody will believe his mess. But how I many know without any Christians down here, who's going to run the hospitals? Without any Christians down here, who's going to settle the arguments? Who's going to break people up and try to tell everybody to calm down? Who's going to be, play the peacemaker at all down here? It's going to be kind of rough. A bunch of heathens down here with the Antichrist ruling. It, the first three and a half years are going to be bad. But guess what? It's going to get worse. That's right. The second three and a half years are called the Great Tribulation. 
And Jesus said himself in Matthew 24, 21, there will be great, greater anguish than at any time since the world began. Now, I can look back and just in my history books and see that there's been some bad anguish in this world during the world wars, famines, tsunamis, earthquakes, volcanoes, uh, pestilence, uh, genocide, all the things. that This world has been pretty awful up to now. But this is going to be anguish that the world has never known. And he goes on to say, and it will, be, it will be so great it'll never be that bad again. And he went on to say, if he wouldn't step in, that they'd have killed everybody. That's bad. So how does it end? Why does Jesus step back in? Because they're about to kill everybody. And they're about to kill his chosen people. You remember, I told you last week, when the last Gentile is coming in, he's going to turn his attention back to the Jews. And so he's going to be worrying about the nation of Israel. But at the same time, the Antichrist is going to be ruling, and he's going to set himself up to be God on the earth, and, and they're going to uh, put the temple back in Jerusalem. He's going to sit in the temple claiming to be God. But then even the Jews are going to start scratching their head about that and saying, wait a minute, he's not God. We thought he might be the Messiah, but he's not, he's not God. And so they're going to fight against him, and then all the nations... Surrounding nations, the bear, Russia, and other nations are going to come and converge in a valley you may have heard of called Armageddon. And they're going to array together to destroy the armies of the north, the, the Red Army. The uh, Great River is going to be dried up so China can march. There's 100 million man army across. And they're going to array to destroy God's chosen people. At the end of seven years, but at just the right time. Da -da -da. There's going to be a Savior. He's going to be riding on a white horse. There's going to be a flames of fire coming out of his eyes and a sword out of his mouth. There's, he's going to be wearing a right, white robe with blood on it. <laughs> and he, ain't, he ain't coming back as a little baby in a manger next time. He's coming back as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's coming back to do business with those who have declared themselves enemies of God. And I'm riding with him. <laughs> and I ain't even going to have to do any fighting. Because he's going to wipe the enemies of God out in the valley of Armageddon. And then he's going to set up his kingdom here on the earth. I don't know how God does things, but, but it says that the new Jerusalem is going to come down out of heaven. And he's going to set it up in place of the old Jerusalem. And he, Jesus himself is going to sit on the throne and rule and reign here on the earth for a period of 1,000 years. Now, see, all the enemies of God have been destroyed during the seven years of tribulation, but there's people who, who made it through somehow. Like a third of the population is killed off by the Antichrist and all the, the, the bowls of wrath that are poured out. Did I mention that God, during the seven years, is going to be pouring out bowls of his wrath. He's pouring out his anger, the righteous anger that he has against his enemies. And you say, why is God doing that? I thought he was merciful. He is. The reason he would do that is this is like your last chance, buddy. I'm trying to show you what you deserve so that you would turn and not burn. It's his mercy. He could have just wiped them all out. 
But he gives them seven more years just trying to get them to listen. It's his mercy. He just keeps on having mercy. And so then he, all the people that survived the seven years of tribulation, they're still humans on the earth, you understand. And now Jesus has set up his kingdom, and then us will rule and reign with him. You've seen that scripture, right? That we will rule and reign with him for a thousand years on the earth. You say, well, what, a, what am I going to be in charge of? I don't know. It depends on what you did during this life. Because you will be given rewards according to how faithful you were in this life. And if you be faithful with a little, he'll make you ruler over much. Does that make sense? So I'm hoping to, I'm hoping to have my own little city. I might be mayor of Horn Lake or something. Move over, Latimer. I'm the new mayor. But I'm going to be down here. You're going to be down here. We're going to be ruling and reigning, and Jesus is going to be in control. It's going to be awesome. The righteous, the way you wish miracle was right now, if you have a right heart with God, is the way it's going to be ruled. Justice, mercy, love. I mean, the, the, the Lord Jesus will be the light of the earth, and it'll be like the earth that we want. But you can imagine after a thousand-year period, that's a long time. The earth is going to repopulate with humans again. And there'll probably be more than 7 billion like it is now. There'll probably be another 7 or 8 billion. The planet will be full with people again. So what happens to them? Well, I forgot to tell you that uh, after the battle of Armageddon, the beast and the false prophet, and two of the devil's cohorts, they're thrown, they went ahead and thrown into the lake of fire, into hell. But the devil himself is only chained into a bottomless pit to be released at the end of the thousand years. And at the end of those thousand years, he's released. Why, you say? Why would we let the devil back out? Well, God always gives people a choice. And all those people who are now on the earth, they have seen God's righteousness, and the devil gets out and he begins to tempt folks and he gets, works up a rebellion against Jesus. Here on the earth with Jesus, having the beautiful rule that Jesus is going to have here, justice and mercy and all those things, perfect. But there will still be people. You believe that? There will still be people that want to rebel openly against Jesus on the throne in their eyesight. God gives them that choice. And those who choose to rebel, I can't remember where it's written. I had to pull it out. But it says that God comes and destroys them with the breath of his mouth. Like, boom. It, it's not even, a, it's not, it wouldn't even consider it a fight like in Armageddon. It's just like, boom, they gone. And they, they go to the great white throne of judgment and they're cast into the lake of fire with the devil who will be there forever. And now guess where we sit? Everybody is spending eternity where they chose. Everybody had a decision. Everybody made their decision. And now eternity is settled. There ain't nothing left but Jesus and those who follow him on the earth. 
and those who have chosen to rebel against him and chose not to receive forgiveness from him. And they have all been judged and cast into the lake of fire where they chose to go. Sad. But for us, we enter into eternity. And then guess what? I don't even know. I don't even know. Well, there'll be... I know there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, and I'm not sure if that's during the before the millennial reign or if that's after. I'm not a one of those end time guys that can sit and tell you line upon line everything, but I'm just telling you the basics because we're in we're in a high level series, right? Remember, we had to go all the way from Genesis to get here, so <laughs> it's been a long time getting here, right? All right, let me see if I had some notes on this. Eternity begins. Yep, and everybody has made their own choice where to spend it. So the question is, are we ready for the rapture? Are we ready for what happens next? How must we as people, when God looks at the earth, how must we look to him? What does he see the human condition? Since that's what we're talking about. I think he may look down and see a creation sadly separated from its creator. A child wandering from the love that they don't even know exists. A blind man stumbling in the dark, grasping for anything to numb the pain. Drugs, alcohol, sex, pornography. A generation broken by the circumstances in which they live. Who can't see their worth. And who have lost all hope and still too prideful to even reach out for help when it's available. Or too dumb to know it's there. And I'm going to throw this one in for free. A generation of Christians who are not telling them where to find the help. That one must baffle God more than all the rest. A people deceived by Satan, drawn away and enticed by their own lust. A world of insecure people looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for fulfillment in things that are temporary and don't matter. From a little baby boy, born of a crack mama, addicted as a baby, to a, a beautiful little girl who's born with a silver spoon in her mouth. Different situations for every person, and, and someone all the way in between. We all face situations and different challenges. Who can speak? To our situation as Christians who are waiting for that, that boat to come, waiting for the, for the trump to sound. Who can speak to how we're supposed to make a difference while we're here? Is it the apostle Peter? I thought, well, he probably wouldn't have anything to say because he was raised pretty rough you know he was like a redneck fisher guy and probably had a foul mouth like a sailor and uh he was sinful you know young man rough and gruff and like a lot of guys he man thinking you know that's what it's all about how do i know because soon as he encountered jesus and he saw the first miracle he's like go away from me lord i'm a sinful man he he felt the holiness of jesus and he he immediately knew that he was unclean 
But he also recognized, I need what Jesus has. And so Peter began to follow Jesus. He left his boat. He left his livelihood. He was serious about following Jesus. And he would do pretty good at times. Peter was one of those guys that would speak his mind, and sometimes he was right, and sometimes he was wrong. And so he was up and down as a Christian, trying to do right. And, and I know a lot of people who recognize they need what Jesus has. They start going to church. They start doing the best that they can. A lot of men, they want to be good men. They want to be good people. They, see, they have a desire. I want to be somebody. I want, I want to leave a legacy. Now, those are good things. And so they begin to come to church. I remember I did. I went down one time at Central Church in Memphis. And uh, I responded to an altar call. And they said, son, have you come down here to get saved? I said, I don't know what that is, but I just want to be a better husband. And they said, well, pray this prayer. And I said, the sinner's prayer. I didn't even know what it was. But I didn't say it because I wanted to get saved. I said it because I wanted to be a better person. But anyway, this, that's not a wrong thing to want to be a better person. But you see, when persecution came, when it started, when it looked like it was going to cost Peter something, Jesus was arrested, and now they're beating on him. And what are they going to do? They're going to get me. Although you just boasted that you would never leave or forsake him, now you're denying him three times. And see, men folks do that too. So do women. They come to church with good intentions on being a better person, making something of their life. But then when their friends start making fun of Christians, they, oh yeah, they're those Christians. Or their job takes precedence over coming to church and and you know, Jesus didn't ask us to give him some time when we get a chance. Jesus wants first place in our life. No matter where you are in your station in life, he wants total obedience, total surrender. He wants to make the decisions in your life. And if you're saying, well, you know, I put my time in at church. I don't do those things anymore. I let the younger people do it. Or if we say, you know, I'd like to, but my job won't allow me to. I'll only make it one Sunday a month or something. Well, the reason we can only make it one Sunday a month is because our job has taken precedence over God's will in our life. If we had faith to believe God, then he could arrange our schedules. But I don't want to get into all that. But anyway, I say all this to say Peter denied Jesus. But oh, Jesus, he came looking for Peter. Made a special trip to the lake. Peter said, I'll go with fishing. I'm just going back to what I know to do. I, I didn't mess this Christianity thing up. It didn't work for me. I denied Jesus. It's over with. I might as well go back to fishing. But he saw Jesus on the bank, and man, something stirred in him again. It's, no. And he jumped out of that boat and swam to Jesus, and Jesus restored Peter. And, and Peter's like, what do you want me to do, Jesus? I'm ready. I'm ready to go with you. Jesus said, you can't go with me because I'm going up. 
Can't go with me right now. He said, well, what do you want me to do? Send me to this. Send me here. Send me. No, no, no. You go to Jerusalem and you wait until you be endued with power from on high. See, that's been your problem all along, Peter. It's been about you being a better person. It needs to be about me being in you. It needs to be about Christ in you, the hope of glory. You ain't never going to be a better person until you get filled with the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives you the ability to overcome sin. Let me get back on my notes. And I said all that just to say, after that, Peter steps into the things of God. He begins to be that rock on which Jesus can help build a church. He begins to be the man of power that he wanted to be by the Spirit of God in him. And the first thing he wanted to do is tell us what he learned. So I asked, who could tell us how to be ready and waiting? Peter can. By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. See, the Scriptures were inspired by the Holy Spirit. God breathed, written through men. God uses man in ways that we can't fathom. Every word breathed by, through God's mouth, but written and penned by a man named Peter in the book of 1 Peter. And look here, 1 Peter, the first book, the first chapter, I'm going to read you some stuff that's pretty exciting, pretty. I mean, you know Peter, how excited he is. He's like me. He'll say whatever comes to his head. And he can't wait to tell everybody what he knows. And so he lets it fly, and it's beautiful. I'm going to read it in the message translation. I know that's a paraphrase. Excuse me. You can read it in whatever you want to. But for dramatic sake, I'm going to read it in the message translation. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. All I'm going to do is skip the little greeting. All right? He gets right in. To the heart of the matter. What a God we have. <laughs> and how fortunate we are to have him. The father of our master Jesus. Because Jesus was raised from the dead. We've been given a brand new life. And we have everything to live for. Including a future in heaven. And the future starts now. Man you talking about preaching a message. You remember he's the one jumped up on a hickory stump. And the first day. 3,000 people got saved once he got filled with the Holy Ghost. I bet he probably told them this stuff right here. God is keeping careful watch over us and the future. The day is coming when you'll have it all. Life healed and whole. He's encouraging them. I know this. how great this makes you feel, even though you have to put up with every kind of aggravation in the meantime. Pure gold put in the fire comes out, it is proved pure. Genuine faith put in this suffering comes out, proved genuine. When Jesus wraps this all up, it's your faith, not your gold, that God will have on display as evidence of his victory. And if you went down to verse 13, he says, so roll up your sleeves, guys. What are we going to do? What are we going to do till he comes back? Roll up our sleeves. Put your mind in gear. Be totally ready to receive the gift that's coming when Jesus arrives. 
Don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil, doing just what you feel like doing. You didn't know any better then, but you do now. As obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into a life shaped by God's life, a life energetic and blazing, blazing with holiness. God said, I am holy, you be holy. You call out to God for help, and he helps. He's a good father that way. Is he laying it out for you or what? He's telling you like it is. He's a good father that way. But don't forget, he's also a responsible father. He won't let you get away with sloppy living. Your life is a journey you must travel with a deep consciousness of God. Not God somewhere in the background. I'll think about him Sunday. It costs God plenty to get you out of that dead-end, empty-headed life you grew up in. He paid with Christ's sacred blood, you know. He died like an unblemished, sacrificed lamb, and this was no afterthought. Even though it has only lately, at the end of the ages, become public knowledge. God always knew what he was going to do this for, that he was going to do this for you. It's because of the sacrificed Messiah whom God then raised from the dead and glorified that you trust in God, that you have a future in God. Then, if you skip down to the next chapter, which it wasn't written in chapter and verse, that was added later, but in the second chapter in verse 9, he goes on, he says, but you are the ones chosen by God. You're chosen by God. You. No finer group in all of DeSoto County, but the ones I'm staring at right now. You are the ones chosen by God. Chosen for a high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and to speak out for him, to tell others the night and day difference he's made for you. From nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Friends, this world is not your home. <laughs> I saw Tom's hands going, hallelujah. I'm glad this world is not my home. This world is not your home, so don't make yourself cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and be, to and be there to join in the celebration when he arrives. Say, Maranatha. He's coming. We want everybody to be there when he arrives. And then in verse 21, he says, this is the kind of life you've been invited into, the kind of life that Christ lived. He suffered and everything that came his way so that you would know that it could be done. And you would also know how to do it step by step. Follow me as I follow Christ, Paul says. And Peter says, follow Jesus. Look at his example. He showed you step by step that you can do it. Can we really walk the straight and narrow? Yes. You can do it. We, we, we have taken grace to an all-time high of making it an excuse why we can't do things. Shall I sin that grace might abound? God forbid. 
I don't sin because of grace. Because I appreciate the grace that I've been given. We need to stop thinking like a bunch of dork buckets. <laughs> Hebrews says that it's possible. Now there's always been that wide road that leads to destruction. And it's just easy to fall over on it and just be carried away with the crowd. It's just easy. Any old fool can do it. But Hebrews says it's possible because it gives examples of people who through faith overthrew kingdoms, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, became strong in battle, and put whole armies to flight and won the great victories for Jesus. And then it says, on the other hand, many were tortured for Jesus and jeered at and their backs were cut open and they were chained and died by stoning and sawed in half and killed with the sword. And some went about wearing sheepskins, destitute, oppressed, and mistreated. So some of them had great victories on this side for Jesus, and some of them had even greater victories for Jesus on this side because both of them did it for the glory of God. For me to live as Christ, to die as gain. No matter what I suffer or what I go through, as long as I'm doing it for Jesus, I know it's going to be all right. Because there's a payday coming. There's a scripture on the tip of my tongue and I'm trying to get it out. Help me, Lord. This light affliction is but for a moment. But it worketh for us a far greater weight of glory in the life to come. This light affliction, sawn in half, this light affliction. My back laid open, stoned. This light affliction. That's not a light affliction, Pastor. In the scope of eternity, a few minutes of pain before you die, I'd probably rather be sawn in half than spend. 30, 30 years in a Turkish prison for serving the Lord. And there's people doing that too. But great is your reward in heaven when they persecute you. Great is your reward in heaven when they say all manner of evil against you. Hebrews 11.38 says they were too good for this world. They were too good. Do we just want to fit in with this world? Are we okay with being another statistic in the human condition that we've been talking about? Another casualty of the human condition? Paul says, you're acting like mere humans. When you have the Spirit of God, we got to see what we have what we've been given and the responsibility to, to take this life-giving message and change this human condition. Who will have their sleeping bags rolled up when Jesus returns? Who will be ready to go? I'll tell you who. Those who recognize the, his love and are moved by the power of the cross. Those who welcome the filling 
of his Holy Spirit and do not reject the power of God. But trust that God's not going to give you a serpent if you ask for a loaf of bread. That if you ask for his Holy Spirit, he's not going to send you something crazy. He never took away your free will any other time. He's not going to make you do anything wacky. That if he says it's a gift, it's a gift. And he's not a... Those who have put their complete trust in Jesus are the ones who are going to be overcomers in this life. Those who put their complete trust in Jesus, they put all their weight down over on him, say, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that liveth in me. Everything that I do good, I am what I am by your grace, Lord. I do what I do because you give me the power to do it. I'm not here for my own glory. I'm not here to make a name for myself. I'm here to build your kingdom and to do thy will, O God. What would you have me do? Here I am, send me. Those who just humble themselves so that God can exalt you for the kingdom's sake. He could be coming back any minute. Maranatha. Maranatha. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.